This is Matt Greller, CEO of AIM. Welcome to the Hometown Innovations Podcast. Join us as we share ways our municipalities are positioning themselves for the future, thought-provoking interviews with state and local leaders, and more. Thanks for listening as we tell the municipal story. Hi, it's Jennifer Simmons and Chelsea Schneider with AIM. Um, today's edition of Hometown Innovations Podcast, we're at the State House. It's the first day of the 2019 legislative session. It's a long session, and we thought we would start it off by touching base with some lawmakers and getting their perspective on what's to come and how they are approaching the session. All right, we're here with Senator Randy Head. He's our first interview on today's episode of Hometown Innovations podcast. Uh, Senator Head, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You bet. Um, well, it's first day of legislative session, as we've said. Tell us a little bit about the day in the life of a legislator during session. Well, the first day is always unique because you're, you're seeing everybody after uh, having been apart from them for a long period of time. So I always say this is the day everybody gets along. Uh, we're filing bills uh, starting Oh, that'll end within about a week or so. So if you've got a bill, you've got to get it filed soon. Uh, and today's the day, really, you start seeing people who are going to be on committees, uh, trying to talk to them about bills, trying to see where they are, uh, to see if you need to change your bill, uh, talk to committee chairman, trying to get hearings for bills, and really that process just gets started. So there'll be a lot of, uh, a lot of communication today, uh, but during session we won't be passing any bills because there haven't been any through committee yet, and those will start next week. Well, what are some of the bills that you're going to be focusing on this I've session? Got a, a wide variety of topics, which is which is normal for me. Uh, a really important one for me is going to be school bus safety. I've had four children uh, die in my district just this this school year uh, in accidents involving school buses or bus stops. Uh, so uh, that, that's going to be very important. I'm working with uh, the family from Fulton County who's uh, had three children die when they were crossing a state road uh, to get on the school bus, and it's a it's a horrible thing. Uh, but this family is so strong. I've been absolutely amazed every time that I talk to them, and we'll be having a press conference, I think, next Tuesday morning, and uh, the mother of those children is going to be here and is going to talk to the press about the bill and, and, and what she wants to have, to have happen so that no one else has to go through what she's going through. Uh, she's amazing. Uh, several other uh, bills as well, some things on family law. Um, I think mental health uh, services in schools are very important. I think we can uh, stop some problems before they become uh, serious, uh, before they become violent, if we make mental health treatment available for people who need it. And it would be optional. I mean, parents have to opt in according to a law that's already on the books. Uh, but we, we need to have resources to be able to do that. So if a child has a problem and it's been identified, we can treat that uh, instead of waiting until the child gets violent or, or does something or, you know, they're too far gone and have uh, dropped out of school, for instance. Uh, we can take some proactive, uh, some action there uh, and make things better for everybody. And I'm, I'm really excited about that, that kind of stuff. Uh, I've had a lot of local uh, elected officials say that their budgets are, are really getting cramped, especially counties, because we've got the property tax caps in, but we mandate now that counties keep low-level offenders in their own jails, uh, and we provide no money for that. It's an unfunded mandate, and it's really been putting the crunch on several counties throughout the state, regardless of size. Uh, I'm going to try to get some, uh, some relief started there. It's going to be tough because the budget's going to be tight, uh, but I had a judge say, well, look, if someone is a low-level felon, we have to keep them in our county jail and they violate probation, uh, shouldn't we be able to send them to the Department of Corrections then and have the state pick up the freight instead of, uh, you know, well, you just go right back to the place you just got out of and you know you can, you can survive there and be fine. Um, and I think that that makes an awful lot of sense to me. Uh, the budget's going to be awful tough this year. We're going to have some bills on DCS. 
Uh, and another one that I'm, uh, I'm excited about is a student loan repayment program uh, for healthcare providers who work in shortage areas. Uh, we're gonna try and, and use some, uh, maybe a little bit of money from the general fund, but to see if we can do a surcharge on license fees. And that way members of the profession will help other members of that profession get in and get established uh, in areas where they need to be. Uh, and finally, uh, the one that uh, my constituents seem to like simply because it's so annoying uh, is getting rid of spam phone calls where a salesman right. calls using a number that looks like it's from near you right. and it's not. Uh, and I want to outlaw that and give people uh, and the Attorney General's office a way to enforce that uh, and get some damages uh, as an incentive to have those salesmen leave us alone or at least call from what's really their number. Mm -hmm. So if you have caller ID, you can make the choice whether to pick up or not. Right. Right. Well, it sounds like you have a busy session covered the coming up. Yeah. Well, it also sounds like a lot that municipal officials will be excited to work with you on. So we hope we can help you accomplish some of those things. Well, I hope so, too. Uh, you know, on the a little bit on the fun side, um, what are a couple predictions you have about the legislative session? Oh, predictions can, are never yeah, fun. Yeah, we can come back in April and they see They always how you turn did. out to be wrong, right? That's fun <laughs> for you. That's not fun for us. Um, I haven't thought about this one. Well, you know, by uh, constitutional amendment now, we have to pass a balanced budget, uh, so we're going to do that. Um, I predict the budget is going to be very, very tight, and that there are going to be uh, probably a lot of good bills and good policies that cost money that we're not going to be able to enact. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about increasing uh, teacher pay, uh, which is something I'm excited about. Senator Alting is going to have a bill that says if we legalize sports betting, take some of that money, and make sure that teachers can get an increase. Uh, I don't think we yet know how much revenue that would raise. Uh, so that there'll be a lot of discussion about that topic. Um, I can't sit here and predict that, that anything will pass this session, though. I prefer to under-promise and over-deliver as opposed to, to doing it the opposite way. Fair enough. There's Fair. going to be a lot of hand-wringing when it comes to, to passing that budget. Yeah. I know that. Yeah, I've heard that as well. You know, at AIM, we're really focusing on helping our members get engaged with the General Assembly and also stay engaged. Okay. What are some tips that you have in terms of, you know, our municipal members reaching out to lawmakers? Well, this is one of my favorite topics, actually. Uh, and uh, AIM had me come speak at a, at a conference in South Bend uh, a couple of years ago to local officials about exactly how to do that. I encourage everyone to establish a professional relationship uh, with, with their senators and representatives, regardless of party, regardless of which party they are and regardless of which party uh, the General Assembly members are. Uh, there's no reason that people shouldn't be able to talk to each other. Uh, it's important for everybody to, to become a trusted resource, and you do that by having ongoing communications with your senators and reps, regardless of whether you need anything or not. Now, if you're the person who only calls whenever you need something, um, you know, it's, it's, you're less likely to be a trusted resource or, or be looked at as an expert on a particular thing. But if you've got an ongoing relationship that you've put time into, you're a lot more likely to get a call from a senator or a representative saying, hey, we've got this issue, I've got some questions about it, can you help me understand what's really going on here? And that's the place that, that local officials want to be. Uh, again, regardless of party, you can take party politics out of all of this if you try. Uh, the, the way not to do things uh, is to be confrontational, to put us on the defensive as a matter of course. Sometimes that's necessary, and I understand that. I'm not saying never, but I'm saying if that is your, your go-to move, uh, is to call up and immediately begin pointing the finger, laying blame, making whoever you're talking to defensive, uh, you're not going to have a, a good relationship there. Uh, if someone uh, threatens me, I've got to think I better vote the opposite way of what they say, uh, because if I tend to vote the way they say after a threat, they're going to think that their threat made a difference to me, and that's the way to, to handle me, quote-unquote. Uh, going forward, and it's not. 
Um, I've got to teach people and show people that I'm, I'm not going to be uh, intimidated or threatened by anything they say or do, uh, that I'm happy to, dis- to discuss things with them, that I will listen intelligently, that I will try to help when I can, uh, but that if uh, uh, an ultimatum is, uh, you know, the, the opening maneuver, uh, I, I don't deal well with that. And I don't know anyone who does, and I don't, I don't think that bodes well for a future relationship. So there, there's a definite way to go about being, being professional and establishing a link and a bond and communicating. Uh, and definite ways not to do that. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. Sure. Head. Is there anything outside our municipal members should know about any of the bills that you're carrying or any you know hot topics for local officials this session? No, I'm not going to be on the local government committee again this year. Uh, it'll be the first time in a long time that I'm not on it. And I think I'll miss that because I've always enjoyed those issues. Uh, we haven't had the bill filing deadline yet, so I'm not sure what bills are going to be out there yet that are going to affect our locals. Uh, but I think everybody does better when they stay involved. They attend town halls if uh, they're emailing or, or calling about topics that, uh, that they hear about or read about in the news uh, and, and offer uh, to provide information to their uh, senators and their reps. Uh, everybody will be better off. Great. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right. We're here with Senator John Ruckelshouse uh, from the Indy Hamilton County area. Senator, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. You bet. You bet. So it's the first day of session. Um, give municipal officials listening to this podcast an idea of what your day is like. What's a typical day like for you during session? Well, what I really like to do when I first get up is uh, go work out first thing in the morning. I think that's really important because these are long days and you see a lot of people and you get a lot of stress, uh, both positive and negative. So a really good workout in the morning kind of helps out. So I try to, I rise super early. I'm from the lumber business originally. I'm one of the only Ruckelhouses who's not a lawyer. And I usually get a standing ovation when I give that speech. But uh, I, I really enjoy, so rising early is just part of my nature, right? Usually up about 5.30 in the morning and then hit the gym right away. And then come down and start. Every day is different. Literally every day is different. Sure, we have committee hearings. Sure, we have session. But literally once I walk in here, the day can spin with one mm-hmm. phone call. Uh, or one thing, one headline that happened either here or Washington, D.C. So every day is different. Uh, start out a good day with exercise and usually end up the day about 9 or 10 o'clock at night. All right. So a long day, but luckily you live close enough that you probably get to go home. Yes, that is one advantage mm-hmm. of being in this position, being so close. Uh, one thing is, is that is good. The other part is it's literally the legislature's in your backyard and your constituents make sure you know that. So that's okay, too. <laughs> What are some of the bills that you're authoring this session? I'm very excited about some of them. Now, globally, what I try to work on is workforce development issues. A little bit of a background, as I mentioned, that I worked uh, in the lumber business. I co-owned a lumber company here in Indianapolis for many, many years, and we ended up selling that. So I've been an employer, signed both sides of the paycheck, if you will. And then I worked for Governor Mitch Daniels and his administration. I was a deputy commissioner of Department of Workforce Development. So that enabled me to travel all throughout the state to all 92 counties. And I was really able to look behind the scenes at our state's economic engine, our state's education system. And I worked very closely with our local elected officials because our workforce system is set up that they very much have a part of that. So uh, pursuant to that, I've got a couple of concepts. Workforce development is sort of the issue of our time, if you will. It's something that's not going to go away. And it's genesis. It's uh, a demographic issue, 
we have uh, people that leave the state and we need to get them back or we have people that have left the state for obvious reasons we need to get them back and it's not just Indiana this is all over the country and frankly all over the world so a couple pieces I'm working on one Governor Daniels and I talked about this summer whereby we have it's going to be an initiative called let Indiana work for you and that's a long title, but basically what it is, is Governor Daniels and I talked about this, he's already doing this at Purdue, but the state will now come up with a program whereby it'll be a marketing program and an incentive program eventually, not on the front end, but eventually, and we're gonna target the 300,000 uh, students that are in our colleges right now, right now, both public and private from in-state and out-of-state, and we're going to indoctrinate them with how great it is to live, work, and play in Indiana. We're going to start out when they're freshmen, and we're going to keep indoctrinating them all the way through by the time they graduate. They'll know a lot about Indiana. So in other words, stay. Uh, we've got great jobs here. We've got a great quality of place. We have great places around Indiana. So that initiative, Let Indiana Work For You, is one initiative that we have. Another initiative that, I'll, that I've already introduced and I'm getting ready to sit down with the committee chairman is, is the Indiana Service Program. And we're very excited about this. So what this is, it's going to target that student population that graduates from high school. And you know what? They just don't really know what they want to do yet. And that's okay. We don't want to scold them, but we understand that. So instead of, in our traditional system now, oh, you need to go to college and then put all the pressure that they have to go on to college and potentially be that next high risk of both student debt and dropout. Uh, what we wanna do is create a program, we're gonna start very small, with only 30 students, because we wanna test it, we wanna measure it, make sure it works before we roll it out on a large scale. So these students, it'll be a governor's committee that will uh, that they'll apply to we want this group to be very diverse both socioeconomically as well as geographically and i'll explain why geographically is very important here in a second so this group will start 30 students they'll enroll in a nine-month program that'll coincide as if they were going off to college okay and they'll receive a stipend of a thousand dollars a month for their time but they'll work in pods of 10 so there'll be three pods of 10 scattered throughout the state. They'll spend the first, this is the exciting part. So they'll spend the first three weeks working on a farm. They'll spend the next three weeks working in a manufacturing environment. They'll spend the next three weeks working in a school, assisting a teacher to possibly think about becoming a teacher someday. They'll spend the next three weeks working in the tech sector, becoming coders. The next three weeks working uh, in biosciences all the way around the horn, if you will, for nine months so that they all Indiana-centric businesses so that hopefully on the back end, the light bulb will come off and say, you know what, this is really what I want to be. I had no idea that manufacturing pays this much. It's cool. It's all high tech today. Or I had no idea to be an HVAC technician pays over $80,000 and I can go to Ivy Tech for a year and get uh, work with, or excuse me, uh, internships with my employer and no student debt. I had no idea, or I want to be a teacher. I hope they want to be a teacher. And let's go to Ball State or Indiana to become a teacher in the state of Indiana. The other part to this, which I think is just as meaningful, is that these individuals are going to civics. They're really going to learn how to work together, collaborate, communicate, 
treat each other with respect, listen. So what I talked before about why it's so important about the geographical diversification, think about it. Someone from an impoverished area in the state of Indiana working side by side with someone from Carmel, Indiana, a very high socioeconomic means, and they're bailing hay in a hot August sun in Indiana together, they'll learn how to work together. So those are some of the things we're working on. That's really exciting. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. You know, at AIM, we're seeing mm-hmm. a lot of our city and town leaders. Mm-hmm. There's a big focus right now on quality of place, mm-hmm. on livability. AIM has a proposal called Investment Hubs, you know, right. as a way to, you know, really boost, you mm-hmm. know, um, livability across Indiana. Where are you in terms of quality of place as um, a talent attractor or, or a driver of talent to the state? Well, very supportive thereof, and, and frankly, visionary, hopefully visionary in those regards, in that regard, excuse me. Number one, the regional cities uh, initiative that we started, we need to take, think about that from a more of a statewide level going to the next level. Now, we'll see as we move into the budget aspect, but clearly that's the next level because you'll be able to take major hubs like Indianapolis, like Fort Wayne, like South Bend, etc like Evansville and then go out and that will also help to be an answer to some of the rural communities where this is a major issue we have to look at things more on a regional basis number one number two I talked about some of the workforce pieces that we're working on etc more collaboration and and, um, and education the third piece that we're really excited about is last year we created the White River Caucus now what is the White River Caucus Well, in Indiana, last time I checked, we don't have any oceans and we don't have any mountains. Now, I went to Indiana University, so they do have some hills down there, by the (laughs) way. But the rest of the state is very good with respect to good farmland, et cetera. So the White River is one of our great habitats, one of our great natural resources. So we created the caucus last year to draw attention to this. Currently, there is a national organization studying the use and maintenance of the White River and the development, I'll explain development here in a second, of the White River basically from Anderson, Indiana, all the way to Johnson County. And that's the first piece of it. And talk about what we can do to reclaim the White River with the environment, to clean it. And when I'm talking about development, we're talking about trails, we're talking about habitat. Yeah, there might be some pockets of some development along the way of apartments or housing or something, but for the most part, this is going to be an area where people can enjoy the White River, walk, canoe. I did some kayaking up and down the White River actually this fall. It was spectacular, people to get back to nature. So this is what people want, both millennials as well as baby boomers. Great. Well, yeah, definitely. So we really appreciate your time on the podcast. Any other things, you know, the municipal leaders or our members should be looking out for this session? I know it's pretty early in the it's game, very right? Early so, and thank yes. you, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. I would say the thing that I would say is we want to hear from them. You know, this a lot of times we get stuck in this vortex of the legislative session and days are beginning early and, and end very late. We want to hear from them. Okay, and so I do a lot of bipartisan town halls, which I thoroughly enjoy. Every Saturday morning, I have coffee with constituents. Please contact us. Don't be shy. All right, great. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Well, now we're here with Representative Carrie Hamilton from Indianapolis. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. So it's the first day of the legislative session. Um, tell us what it's like for you. What's a day in the life uh, of a state representative? 
Well, as you can imagine, it's pretty busy. Um, we all get here at a, a decently early time in the morning, and it's nonstop all day. We meet with constituents who are here with various groups um, or on particular issues that they're interested in. Um, we meet with um, groups like AIM and others who are presenting their agenda in different venues throughout session, and we're working our bills and going to committee meetings. And of course, we're in session in the chamber um, three days a week. So it's, it's um, a wide range of activity in these hallowed halls. Yeah, it's very busy. Um, so this is a budget writing session, so even busier than a, than a normal shorter session. Um, what will you be watching for in the state budget or advocating for this session? Well, obviously I think um, most of us are focused on making sure DCS is um, funded such that they can protect children at the highest level. And we've big problems in recent years and we're gonna work as hard as we can this year to rectify that, both from a funding perspective, but also we need to make sure that the agency is implementing the best policies for children. Um, so it's two-pronged on that count that front. Teacher pay. Um, I'm very focused on teacher pay. I know a lot of my colleagues are as well. We're losing talent at a rapid rate and um, our students are suffering and our state is suffering as a result. So that's a priority for me. Pre-K, so looking to continue to expand Indiana's access to pre-K for all eventually is my goal. Um, and I think we should make steps in that direction this year, certainly. Redistricting reform. Probably the most important district to my constituents, the most important issue, rather, to my constituents is ending gerrymandering by creating more competitive seats in Indiana through redistricting reform. Um, I think more competition in, in elected races um, is good for democracy, and it's good for how things work here at the State House, and we need to make that change. Um, and then finally, hate crimes. Um, at my constituent forums, we hear a lot about hate crimes, and this is an issue that's important to me and many folks in the State House. I know it is contentious, but I think one of the most compelling arguments broadly to the legislature is the economic argument. We hear from the Indiana Chamber of Commerce that we are losing business uh, development, uh, com companies coming into our state because they perceive us as not welcoming to all. And hate crime legislation helps make it clear that we respect all um, Hoosiers and um, that crimes based on bias and hate will be treated um, with, with extra rigor. Um, in terms of some other bills, um, what are you authoring this session that you're going to be spending a lot of time and attention on? Um, so there are a couple things I want to mention. I, I have an environmental background and I serve on the Environmental Affairs Committee. So. Um, there's a bill or two I'm, I'm planning to file that are related to environmental issues, but certainly being on top of environmental issues from a committee perspective, um, trying to get as much good done and as little uh, harm to environmental protection as possible. But one, one bill that I'm going to be working on this year that I hope to at least start a robust dialogue around is a child care tax credit. So at the federal level, there is a child care tax credit, and my proposal would tie um, a state child care tax credit benefit to the federal model. Um, so the uh, most struggling low, lower income working families would see a benefit up to families that make $100,000 would see a benefit because we know that um, a lot of folks stay home because they can't afford the incredibly expensive cost of child care. You know, at AIM, we're really focused on our members 
getting engaged in the legislative process, staying engaged when you guys are both, you know, here at the General Assembly in Indianapolis, but also in the interim, you know, what advice would you give a municipal member who is, you know, reaching out to their lawmakers? Well, you know, all the reinforcement we can get as lawmakers about what's most important to our local elected officials um, is valuable. So um, if you're looking at the AIM agenda and there are one or two items that are particularly important to you, let your legislators know. Um, grab coffee with them in the district on Fridays or come down to the State House if it's convenient and just have a conversation. If you haven't met him yet, we're all very much looking forward to meeting our locals. Um, uh, you know, those relationships are really important. What, uh, what would you say is your favorite part of the legislative session in the process? Oh gosh, I like a lot of it. Um, uh, I have a wonderful district, so working in the district, um, I've hosted um, over a dozen bipartisan forums. I'm just starting my second term, so my first two-year term with my Republican state senator. Um, and those are very rewarding. So being really in touch with my district and knowing what's important to them, um, talking to good people about what, what they care about. Um, but certainly here in the state house during session, making progress on my own issues um, and, and feeling like I, I can have an impact on things. Um, when those days happen, and it's not all days, but some days, um, it feels really good to be here. Well, thanks for joining us on the podcast. We hope to uh, work with you during the session and wish you good luck. My pleasure. Thank you so much.